Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm at Wembley Stadium and I'm with Oliver Kay, who is one of the main football writers for the Times newspaper. Uh, Oliver has worked the Manchester Beat earlier on in his career, but he's often seen at games in Manchester because it's a football capital. But we're speaking to him on this podcast because he's written a book called Forever Young, which you might have seen. It's had quite a high profile recently around social media. We've received a copy. We've run an extract of the book in the latest issue of United We Stand, and we've had a good feedback to that because it's about a former Manchester United youth player, Adrian Doherty. Ollie, why did you write a book on someone who even most Manchester United fans have not heard of? Well, partly because people haven't heard of him, I think. Um, it's, a, it's a very unusual story. I mean, he never, he, never, um, he never played for Manchester United's first team, but he was uh, at a time well, you know, when he was 16, 17, when he was in his first and second years um, at the club, having joined as an apprentice. Um, he was, and this is no exaggeration, he was considered equal to uh, Ryan Giggs. The two of them were playing on opposite wings of the youth team. Uh, everybody I've spoken to, um, re- ranging from you know former youth team teammates, people like Mark Bosnich and people like that, and, and pe- le- people that you'd be less likely to have heard of, like Alan Tong or um, Wayne Bullymore, people like that, and, and first team players like Gary Pallister, down to Gary, Gary Neville, Ryan Giggs. Everybody says, without exception, that he was an utterly incredible talent at 16, 17. Everybody expected him to make it. He was uh, had so much ability, um, and yet, despite having been the one who everybody was, thought was going to blaze a trail for Giggs, Neville, Scholes, Beckham, etc., to follow, he didn't make it due to injury, and only, the rest of his life... Yeah, well, it, it's certainly at the time he was... Um, at the time he was injured, he was very much on the verge of, of, of the first team. So an injury at a key point in his career? Yeah, it was February 91. He was, he'd already been away with the youth team, uh, sorry, with the first team twice. He'd been 14th man in the squad several times um, for a, an away game at Southampton when he was 16. Not just going along for the ride, but going along as 14th man as cover for Danny Wallace, who was uh, having injury problems at the time. And Ferguson loved him, Archie Knox loved him. Everybody thought he has got the talent to be in our first team at, at 16, 17. Um, three weeks before this injury, he'd gone away to a, a game at QPR. Again, was called up ahead of Giggs. He was a winger as well as Giggs was. Um, and he was, he was on the fringe of the first team squad. So Alex Ferguson told me that he, it was, he was just about to make his first team debut at the time of this injury. Um, cruciate injury in, a, in an A-team game um, so that knocked him out and Ryan Giggs made his debut the next week Dan Ferguson made his debut the next week guys like Neil Whitworth Paul Ratton made their debut before the end I, of the season I, I, I watched all these players Yeah, I'm the same age as them Yeah, and exactly. I was going to see Paul Ratton he, yeah. I can remember him Coming on, playing against was it Wimbledon or Palace or something. Palace, yeah. the, the game before Rotterdam. Yeah. And uh, Neil Whitworth, I, I once bumped into him. He turned up. He's a Manchester. Lived in Manchester yeah. most of the time, and he lived. He played for Wrexham. But you spoke to all these people. You, you spoke to Ryan. What did Mr. Giggs say? Well, he him? was he was 
absolutely effusive and not just in the way that you would expect somebody to be about somebody who didn't make it or um, he was absolutely effusive he kept using the word incredible you know a freakish talent absolutely incredible he would talk about the the explosive pace the courage physical courage the willingness to take players on and also this football brain which he likened to somebody in the matrix where you know everything just came together and yet he he also sort of described him as a, a street footballer and Giggs was one of well a lot of, a lot of their teammates the, play, the players who played with two of them in the youth team said that they were as good as each other some of them said Giggs was better some of them said Doherty was better at that age um, and Giggs himself I, I put that to him I said look some of these guys say he was even better than you and he said well I, I wouldn't disagree with that for but six are, months are they being generous to someone who's passed away no well I, it seems like at 16, 17 and if you look at what was said at the time even you know contemporaneously contemporaneously um, people were saying at the time these two these two are the ones these these two wingers will be in Manchester United's first team gone through all kinds of archive footage and that's what people say it's, p- people probably are inclined to talk in that nostalgic way and slightly dewy-eyed about somebody who passed away but um, but an awful lot of it is extremely sincere about about the raw talent and about the potential that, that he had and after his cruciate injury there was no way back for him that finished him off because other players have had cruciate injuries and granted we're going back 25 years yeah. when it was a more serious injury than it is now yeah it could still finish a career at that point, but progress had been made from when Steve Koppel did it a decade yeah. previous. Yeah, if you, if you look at um, what happened around that time, there were a number of cruciates uh, at United. Jules Majorano, which we yeah. named very familiar to you, and readers, Ben Thornley. Yeah. Uh, these are guys who didn't really come back. Ben obviously had a sort of s- slow decline after that. Um, but people like Roy Keane, which is back at, you know, Roy Keane was 97, wasn't yeah. he? Wes Brown went on to have a, a, a good career, though perhaps not as good as it would have been. Van Nistelrooy obviously didn't uh, you know, didn't have any problems. Van Nistelrooy arguably came back better than, than ever. But Lee, in that, Lee Sharp. Yeah. But, and, it, and it's all, it's the ones who are very dependent on speed and explosive pace, I think, that, that generally suffer. Yeah. At that time, 1991, I don't think it was the expertise that there was even a couple of years later. So he didn't, you know, it, it wasn't diagnosed particularly quickly. It wasn't um, addressed particularly quickly. Uh, it wasn't operated on for a year, and it didn't. The operation wasn't a success. And in the intervening period, uh, and one thing we've not really touched on is his, is his character, which is what really, yeah, well, which is that, which yeah. is what really led me to to write the book. Um, his his character and his interests were such that. Um, because he was obsessed with music and prob- yeah. at times obsessed with music more than football, I think he, he eventually, over the course of time, as he was having these long after- mornings and afternoons in the gym, doing his hamstrings, strengthening exercises, he came to the opinion that, that or reached a point where he couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel with football and what was bringing him joy was, was his music, was his poetry, was his writing stories, was his devouring of books. And... Um, I think that that took over in his life, and um, maybe maybe he could have recovered to become a you know a, a decent lower league player, but that wasn't what he wanted. His, his dream had gone of being a Manchester United first team player, 
and his new dream was not being the next George Best, but being the next Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was his biggest, his, his big idol anyway, not George Best. It's not a bad person to have as an idol, Bob Dylan. My own brother did his cruise shirt in the first week of his professional football contracts. Great young player. He was at Man United at 14. He was at Stockport County before Stockport County imploded. And it ruined his career because it didn't just take his pace away. It knocked his confidence. It whacked his confidence. And he fell out of love with football. And there's this... It's not that unusual, sadly. No, No. And... My my other brother, who was injury free, had a far better mm. uh, career as a non-league football. He got paid to play football for mm. 13 years, whereas mm. the the best one, mm. injury did for him. Mm. And to this day, technically he's a good player, but his mm. knee, his knee hurts. Mm. He can't play two or three times a week. He can't mm. train regularly. Um, I think my littlest one, brother, uh, turned to um, women rather than Dylan, <laughs> but. <laughs> What happened then next with, with, with Doherty? Because he, he was into music, he played his guitar. Yeah. He was, it's not normal with the things he was doing no, 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 no. For, for football players. They no. tend to be that sort of laddish gang culture, mm. which my, my little brother would have conformed to, if mm-hmm. I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, playing the guitar is not normally what a footballer does. No, well, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's the anecdote that I throw out most about, about the book, but he, Adrian Doherty was, was such that on Saturday mornings they would play for the A-team or play for the reserves at the Clear for at Littleton Road they would have their complimentary tickets this is the young players to go and watch the first team at Old Trafford now despite the fact that watching Man United wasn't necessarily a great deal of fun at that time 1990-ish um, 91 wasn't <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but, but, but you know 89-90 was not, was not great um, he would he would give away his complimentary tickets right. more often than not yeah. He would take his guitar into town on the bus and he would stand outside the Arndale Centre and busk, playing Bob wow. Dylan, playing his own songs, which he'd... So which he's a professional footballer for Man United. Yeah, exactly. And he's busking. Yeah. And then, on, on, and then on, his, on, his, on his evenings, um, a lot of the other players would go to their, you know, the Griffin or, or, the, or these other pubs. No, nobody could work out where Adrian Doherty went at night. He went to sort of... Folly's Wine Bar, where at the back there was this dingy little room where they had something called the New Troubadour Club on a Monday, Tuesday yeah, night, yeah. which was uh, an acoustic night. He used to play there with people like David Gray, people like yeah. Brian Glancy, who was uh, uh, a big name on the Manchester music scene, and he used to perform open mic nights of poetry and stuff like that. And nobody at these places knew he was a footballer because he just didn't. He didn't see something he wanted to shout about. So. It, he wasn't your typical footballer. He, he wrote stories with his first win bonus when he went away with the first team to Southampton. He bought an old-fashioned typewriter and um, wrote, a, wrote a novel on it. He wore second-hand clothes. He was ribbed endlessly by his teammates for you know, the clothes he wore, big baggy Aaron sweaters and tracksuit bottoms and sort of second-hand trainers or battered years-old trainers. He was just completely different to the rest of them. And this, as much as the potential of somebody who should have made it and didn't, was what absolutely captivated me. You spoke to some of his contemporaries. Did you speak to his friends and family? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was. I, mean, I spoke to, I think, nearly 100 people. It was well over 100 interviews I did. because How I went, long did it okay. take you to do the book? Um, well, it, it was something I was working on for five years. Um, where but where but, did you get the first seed... 
Beca- it was because uh, in early 2011 I was doing a piece on Ryan Giggs because um, it was coming up to 20 years since his debut. Um, so I decided that rather than do the usual sort of what a good player Ryan Giggs has been for 20, 20 years, I would go and do something about the lead up to that, you know, the lead up to his debut. And I spoke to a few of his youth, youth team teammates and they just said, Do you know about Adrian Doherty, by the way? And I did know the name because I'm that kind of anal person who would remember names of, um, of youth team players from that era in particular, probably much more than now. But he was, um, it, it just, you know, I, I, I Googled it and, and it almost brought, brought up nothing. It, there was just a handful of things on, the, on the, the whole of the internet at the time. Just the fact that he had died at, at 26 and he had been as good as Ryan Giggs um, at, at, at 16. And it just made me think, what on earth happened in those um, intervening 10 years? And I just found it absolutely captivating as a, as, a, as a story. It was obviously initially going to be something for the Times, but it snowballed into something far bigger and, and, and a book which I think has really resonated with, with people in its early days, but it seems to have ca- captured people's imagination and thought, God, that's, that's, that's interesting. Who publishes it? Uh, it's Quirkus, Quirkus Books, who don't normally do um, sport books, to be honest, but um, I think they, they like the, the idea of, of it, and um, uh, pl- plenty of other publishers uh, sort of said thanks, but no thanks, but I think Quirkus saw potential in the story in a way that perhaps others didn't, and um, it's... Um, part, part of it, from my point of view, in terms of talking, about, talking to his friends... Yeah. Um, it's the it's the life after football that I, I find yeah. most interesting in a way because you know for some of my books have been with yeah, former Man United yes, players absolutely. and the most interesting part is often what happens next yeah and a lot of them sort of have this great depression that takes hold yeah. where, where you know as the floodlights fade as they say where they just have nothing to replicate the buzz from football but even when he was a footballer he was he was arguably getting just as much kicks from standing in bars playing guitar he went to New York basically to try and get a record deal when he was still a Manchester United footballer that's one thing that just amused me incredibly he was playing these gigs and open mic nights in, in Greenwich Village in this band called the Mad Hatters which never got anywhere you know they were just doing it for fun and in his mind he was as good a, a songwriter and a, and a musician as he was footballer but um, his family yeah his family um, initially didn't really want to you know they didn't want me to write a book initially and so I respected that because I thought without their cooperation it, it would not be possible but I think as the years went by and I think the idea grew on them um, and yeah his, his, his family and friends were, were so so helpful in shedding light on something because if I'd just gone on the words of, uh, of his teammates, yeah. I'd, have, I'd have had this picture of some shy individual who wouldn't say boo to a goose. And his friends told a complete, painted a completely different picture. His music mates told a completely different picture. Of, you know, one of them talked about this fireball who would just kind of explode into life and um, light up and energise these pubs where they were playing and just be, you know, just, just like some kind of, um, you know, he, he has a... Uh, he had a different persona when he had a guitar in his hand and if you go onto YouTube actually look up Adrian Doherty all along the watchtower you'll see as a 16 year old he was he was playing uh, you know um, in pubs and performing in pubs and you'll see a completely different persona there to what his, his teammates saw and his life after football is is very interesting because he just, he just cut himself off from football completely not in a embittered 
um, you know, angry way, but just in a way that you know this doesn't interest me. Football had left him cold, like like, like with your brother. Football had left him cold, and he didn't need it in his life. He, he worked in various places, doing odd jobs, but he lived for his sort of poetry nights and his his open mic nights. And in the book, you would find um, so extracts from his poetry, extracts from his songs, and. I think people would would say, God, that, this this lad was clever. He he had a talent that went far beyond football. Yeah. And why do you think his was it his parents who who came around to the idea of you doing the book? What did they say? Why do you think they? I, I think they had felt basically that that his his story should be told in some way, and they they, they were kind of hoping that Manchester United would tell his story in a way, and, and perhaps go into depth and, and sort of explore some of the, you know, explode, debunk some of the myths that had begun to surround him. Such as? Such as, you know, pe- pe- people in, you know, he's from a small town in Northern Ireland and he didn't make it at Old Trafford and, and he, everybody knew that, you know, he was a fun lo- fun-loving sort, he liked his music, he liked his poetry, he liked to drink, he liked to find a Guinness and um, I, I think a lot of people just assumed that, oh, He's in the pub now, so oh, he, he clearly didn't make it because because he, 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 yeah, and and that that was the case. If he had not been injured when he would have done, but when he was, he would have played for Manchester United, and I've no doubt he would have played extremely well for Manchester United. Um, what I do, what one thing, I mean, the, the family have often had it in mind that perhaps he would have been a another Ryan Giggs and and played for you know 10, 15 years and, and made millions from the game. I actually from speaking to so many people friends family etc I've come around to the view that he wouldn't have done that I think he would have played for two three four five years and played extremely well and maybe negated the need to sign Andrik and Chelskis maybe stifled development of David Beckham um, and maybe been a real star for two three four years but then I think he would just have walked away from it because he was this unusual personality who didn't like the trappings of Fame didn't like. He wasn't interested in money at all. Disliked money. Girls. Bits, bits and pieces. But but you know he he, he certainly wouldn't have wanted the idea of people who went after him for, for because he was a Manchester United footballer. And he was shy. He was, he was shy. And according to friends, he was he was you know not very successful when he tried to chat up girls because they just you know he was this off off the wall off the wall character who who not many people would get. Um, and um, is uh, yeah, I, I, I think once he had got his fill of, of football and got his f- fill of his thrills from football, would just have walked away. Whether that was at 20, 23, 26, even if he'd been at the top of the game, I think he would have walked away and gone and played music because that, I think, interested him as much as football, if not more so. He found himself living in Amsterdam when he was 26, 27. What took him there? And that was the city where he, he would lose his life. Not, not correct. Right. The, the, people have uh, written Amsterdam. It, it was actually in The Hague. Okay. It, it was, um, which I think immediately Amsterdam throws up connotations where, where people are thinking, hang on, Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, Found in a canal, I think I know what's going on here. Something, and when I first read Amsterdam, I, you know, I, I sort of thought, oh, I, I wonder what's this, gone on this there. This is good. That, does this 
version of the truth what you'll find on the web. Yeah. And there's so many inaccuracies, yeah. not just with this story. You know, Van Matter was not born where Wikipedia says he was born. <laughs> the stuff, it's just, but people don't bother to check it. Yeah. And I've looked at, at stuff about my own Uncle Charlie, who was a, yeah, yeah. Who was a player, and think, that's Quite not correct. Simple. And well, yeah, so I'm told. Say he's related to Albert Scanlon, who was also a Manchester United player. It's not true. But who's going to debunk that? So he's in The Hague, so what? He's working in the War Crimes Commission, was he? Or a, a <laughs> Denmark quite. hooligan? Not quite. No, he, he, was, he was this impulsive character who, who, when he left United, he apparently put a pin in a map and decided, I'm going to go and live in Preston. Right. That, that is literally how everybody I, I, I spoke to who knows him they, they believe that's how he ended up in Preston. He well, worked Paul, in a chocolate Heaton factory. ended up in Hull because he wanted to live near the sea in somewhere he'd never been before. <laughs> there you go. So he moved from London to Hull. Well, there you go. And the House Martins became yeah, yeah. a famous exponent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he so, did that, and then he did the same in Galway, basically spur of the moment, I'm going to go and live in Galway. He was going to, he was going to live in, in Dublin, and then his brother said don't go to Dublin today because the traffic will be bad because it's St. Patrick's Day. Go tomorrow or go after the weekend. And he said, no, I want to go today. I'll tell you what, I'll go to Galway instead. Went to Galway and lived there for four years, quite happily doing his, doing his own thing in, in these bars and, and playing, you know, um, you know, working in a hotel as a porter. This kid who'd been at United, a contemporary of Ryan Giggs, had been, you know, on the threshold of greatness years before. And... Um, I'm kind of giving away the whole story here, but 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 it's but it's snippets. But he he, um, he then impulsively, a few years later, decided I'm going to go and work in Holland. I'm going to work the summer in Holland. I'm going to get an agency job in a warehouse or whatever, and I'm going to travel around Europe. And um, he, he was not sure whether he was going to go up to Germany and Denmark or whether he was going to go down through Belgium into France. And um, but he had this in mind. He was going to he was going to travel through Europe once he'd earned enough money and in this agency job so he got a, a job in a, in a in a warehouse for a furniture company near the Hague on the coast um, and he'd really enjoyed his first week there by all accounts went to um, the Hague for a, a night out on the Saturday was due back in work on a Sunday morning um, and on a Sunday morning seemingly slipped on his way back to the station he couldn't swim had a phobia of water Drowned essentially was taken out of the water, um, and um, was was on a life support machine for four weeks and died the day before his 27th birthday. And this is, I mean, that might sound like a kind of convenient explanation for somebody who, who who's trying to write his book, but no, I've been through the police reports at the time, the Department of Justice, who have gone back and gone gone through them, and that that was the finding that it was a a freak accident, and it's just I don't know. You think ten years earlier, this guy was given a or offered a five-year contract, um, one of the biggest, um, well, I think the biggest and longest the club had ever ever offered to a, an apprentice. He turned it down, incidentally, because he wasn't sure he wanted to play for five years. He thought, oh, can I, can I just sign a one-year deal? And we'll talk about it again then. Compromised on a three-year deal, but by the time that three years was up, his injury had happened and, and he, he, he moved on. He'd fallen out of love with football. And obviously, ten years after signing that contract, he was, uh, he was dead. And it's just a, a, a terrible, terrible story in some ways. But in, in other ways, I hope uh, a poignant, uplifting, quite inspirational one about what can be done if you do find yourself falling out of love with football and, and also the reasons why somebody might fall out of love with football. 
thanks for your time. Um, how do we get hold of your book? We, do we, we've already run an extract in United We Stand, which we've had a good feedback. Thank Tell you. us the, the title of your book, your publishers. How much does it cost? Well, it's, it's Forever Young, the story of Adrian Doherty, football's lost genius. Um, it's published by Quercus. Um, you could just buy it from all the usual places. Um, the uh, well, Amazon or, or Waterstones or wherever. I mean, it, buy it online might be a better bet because I'm told that if you go... Um, into Waterstones in Manchester that, that de- demand is outstripping supply at the moment, which is which is very nice. But I'm actually doing a couple of book signings over in um, Northern Ireland, uh, one in um, Easton's in Derry on um, Tuesday the 24th, one in Belf- Easton's in Belfast on Wednesday the 25th. Um, of May. Of May, yeah. yes. So I don't know whether it's too late, but um, uh, yeah, so, but um, yeah. Not I'd, too I'd, late if it's 2017, <laughs> but it's 2016. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you, all the usual places. There you go. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for your time. So that's it for this United We Stand podcast. We are going to do a couple over the summer um, before I go to China on the pre-season. Steve Armstrong and some of the podcast regulars will be bringing us uh, a next podcast over the weekend. Well, we'll be looking at the things that have happened at United since we did the last one at the Cup Final. Obviously, the arrival of Jose Mourinho. Um, it's the, the main factor. And the, the transfer shenanigans that are going on. And also the European Championships. I'm going to the Euros on Friday. I may do one from over there, but I've got to give priority to the people who are paying for me to go there to write about them so that is what I will do Um, but I hope you enjoyed this podcast we've also got the new United We Stand the summer edition it's been printed at the moment there's 56 pages so it's the biggest ever issue of United We Stand we're really happy with it there's loads of pictures of fans at Wembley which we asked people to send in and they did do they sent so many and we couldn't include them all there's a technique, which is the end of season review. There's an exclusive interview with Wayne Rooney with a further one to follow. And so we've put hundreds of hours into it. So please uh, support us and get a copy. It'll be on sale in the usual news agents, and you can order single copies of both digital and printed editions. I'll be putting the information out on that, how to get the mags on social media. Until the next podcast, goodbye.